0: Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the MC Lars Podcast. This is episode 107. It is Monday, October 19th, 2020. And you know what that means. Halloween is just around the corner. Now, I know a lot of you in the past maybe spent your Halloweens going trick-or-treating, um, with your kids, or going to crazy parties, or going to see ICP at Wicked in Detroit. That's probably not going to happen this year, um, unless there's a vaccine the next week. So I want you all to check out the Four Eyed Horseman stream, and you can get tickets at tinyurl.com slash 4 Halloween. There's a really cool Halloween shirt. Um, There's different merch bundles, different, like you get custom art, like different VIP ticket levels. And our guest on the show is none other than Richie Branson, both on the Halloween show and today's podcast. Holler! Also, this Saturday, check out the Shaq New Stimulus Games at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. We play different tournaments, different games. We played Rocket League before. We played the Power Rangers game fighting game. I think we're playing a new Star Wars game this weekend. So check that out. I haven't been doing my Twitch streams as much these days because I want to put more focus on the Shack News stimulus Twitch games because it's more fun to do like an all day tournament with all our nerdcore friends. And so if you want to watch me gaming on Twitch, that's where every month or so check us out on the Shack News Twitch stream, which has been super, super fun. So this week's uh, episode is brought to you by the Patreon Larsians. If you didn't know, if you sign up at patreon.com mclars not only do you get my entire back catalog, you also get 100 plus songs of mine you maybe haven't heard, including songs about all the movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And right now I'm doing all the Star Wars movies, video games, and TV shows in chronological order. We have the Clone Wars coming up. So check that out. It's been super fun working on these. So if you sign up, patreon.com slash mclars, you will catch the flavor. Essays, behind-the-scenes videos, art, ringtones, acapellas, haikus. I do a haiku for everyone, and then there's a downloadable video. So it's pretty fresh. But anyway, shout-out to the old-school Larsians. That's what I call my awesome supporters uh, who make this podcast possible. The old ones, Prod Gator, James Collins, and Sam Casely. And shout-out to the new ones, Joel Barnett, Kenneth White, and John Maness. Y'all keep this ship going. And it's been hard with the pandemic not being able to tour. Um, but it's also been, it's been, you know, it's been really heartening to have all this support from y'all. Uh, it's, you keep streaming my stuff. You keep supporting on Patreon. You keep downloading the podcast. It's just been, you know, it's been really encouraging. I also want to shout out my in-laws, uh, Barbara and John for being so kind to us during the pandemic and Nana aka Barbara takes really good care of our son Atlas sometimes in the afternoons well actually every day in the afternoons so I can do things like the podcast and the patreon so shout out to you Barbara I know you listen to the podcast sometimes um what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, it's time for this week's Letter to Atlas. And if you want to call in, uh, there's a Google Voice number, and I'll play it on the podcast, and then we're going to play these messages for our son. So if you ever want to just wish him good luck and welcome to the world, he's six months now, and uh, he's doing really, really well. So the phone number is 510-463-4237. Again, 510 463 Four two three seven. If you want to leave a letter to Atlas, this week's message is from my homie Steve, who was like one of the first interns for my label back ten years ago. He uh, helped us out on Warp Tour for a bit on our first Warp Tour, and he's always been a, gr- a great dude. He called and left a message. So th- this is this week's letter to atlas busy sleeping busy is he pooping, pooping just checking in how's, how's the little, little boy doing? doing these are some messages that, that you left. left wishing our little baby boy the best now it's time for letters to atlas please leave
1: a message after
0: the tone hi this message is for atlas uh hi, my name is steve um i met your father uh
1: andrew or mc lars many years ago first through the internet and then uh, worked for him for. A little bit being an intern um, sending out posters different concert venues and what-have-you but I just wanted to say uh, it's wonderful
0: um, that you're here in the world and you've got two wonderful parents I've known Lars like I said for for many many years and I've met your mother once or twice and she's very very kind um, and a perfect match for your your father as well um, but Uh, I'm excited to hear more about you, and I hope you live up to everything that is in your potential. Um, That's all I got. Um, All right. Bye. Thanks, Steve. You're a good man. Uh, if any of you have ever, if you ever been to one of my shows and you see the sign I have up for credit cards, Steve designed that. And we use the same design he, he made like 10 years ago. And that's a little piece of Steve's legacy that joins us on all our nerdy music tours. So thank you, Steve, uh, our Pittsburgh homie. Okay. So Richie Branson, this episode is awesome because Richie is kind of like, a he, he's a culture hacker he designs games and makes memes. Not only does he do music and we've collaborated a few times, he makes this amazing contribution to culture by like guessing what's at the intersection of culture and then doing like a hip hop spin or a viral meme spin or an internet twist. Like we talk about how in a way the way he remixes culture is in the same tradition as the way uh cool Herc remixed James Brown back in the day, the way you take culture, put your spin on it, so to speak, and then amplify your message. And so, it's really cool hearing him talk about his process and his artistic approach. His new record, we hear a song from his new record. We talk about fa- he talks about fatherhood. He talks about surviving cancer. He talks about the time he was on tour with MC Chris and a fan said something not nice about him on Twitter. Chris read the piece on Twitter. And kicked the fan out of the show So, yeah, that we get into that And he gives his perspective of what it, what it was like being on stage When all that went down And some of you might be like, Lars, what are you talking about? Um, we get into it So this is my interview with Richie Branson It's a great interview, it's a long interview But it's, uh, every minute of it was super interesting So let's get into it uh, Richie Branson on the MC Lars Podcast <music> Hello, everyone. This is a very special episode. Well, every episode special, but this man I wanted to talk to for a minute. Finally, we made it happen. Richie Branson, ladies and gentlemen. Woo. So Richie,
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: We've been playing the Shaq news stimulus games. That's when I've seen you most recently. Is that what it's called? Shaq news, right? Shaq
1: news stimulus games. Yeah, man. my heart breaks every time I think about this. It's like PTSD for me. Yeah,
0: I don't know if you notice. I always lose very quickly. Yeah. My thing is, I start distracting people. I start asking random trivia while we're playing. Yeah. And then no one pays attention to my skills <laughs> or lack, therefore of.
1: It works though. You become like the the MC as opposed to you know. It's like you drive the conversation that happens while <laughs> everything else is going on. It's beautiful. If you guys aren't watching the Shack News stimulus games, you guys should definitely tune into Twitch and Twitch TV slash Shaq News and uh, watch. It's, it's it's really entertaining
0: good to give them a proper shout out and they they actually it's called Stimulus Games because they're like they know a lot of us are not on tour or whatever so they pay us to play these tournaments and it's like so cool like they've invited us to do it and it's like a it's really inclusive like indicative thing of the scene of like Nerdcore there's just a whole bunch of people who have our backs and there's a great community and it's grown and you're part of that Richie. Oh yeah. I think that's tight.
1: Yeah it's cool it's, it's, uh, it's a humbling experience to, to just be um, able to you know get together like this i know it's um we we live in unprecedented times right now so it's uh it's good to have that kind of escape because uh, it's depressing man <laughs> it's a depressing age
0: it's depressing and it's like also interesting that i met you we're, we met at what nerdapalooza or orlando nerd fest yep. somewhere in orlando i feel like was when i met you
1: it's definitely some orlando-ish i think it was either the last nerdapalooza which sounds about right because I was geeking out, <laughs> meeting everybody. That was my first time really meeting like a lot of the nerdcore proper at that time, and um, it was good to be there. I wasn't. I don't. I performed at the after party, but it was still cool. It was. It was tight.
0: Yeah, that's first. I saw you and Megaran doing it at that Geek Easy, I guess. Mm-hmm. So it must have been twenty thirteen or fourteen. Thirteen sounds about right. So and then and then you were on the road a lot and you tour with Chris, MC Chris and amongst other people. Mm-hmm. And um the reason I mentioned this is because you've been able to build this whole career around like influencing culture, remixing culture, telling stories like Bringing the brands you love together with other things, and so touring for you is—I feel like it's something you do when you want to, if it's fun and if it's right. Because it's not—you don't have to. You're not one of those artists who makes his living from the road. Correct me if I'm wrong.
1: No, you're right. You're right. It's uh i think—in um, my case, yeah, it's—it's. It's, um, I've toured. I think only three times. I toured with Chris, and I toured twice. No, three times with Ran. I toured. And Rand's just such an awesome dude to be on the road with. He's 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 dope. Chris is dope too. Like I had a good time. Chris, that was a that was a, a tour for the history books. So. <laughs>
0: how how did you get hooked up with Chris Ward in the first place? Like, how did that happen?
1: It was crazy. It was like right when Bring Back Tsunami. Uh, I put out this song called Bring Back Tsunami. I was doing these. These weekly anime raps at the time. This is back in 2012. This was whew, a long time ago. Wow. And I'd only been doing this stuff for about I started my quote unquote nerdcore journey January of 2012 with uh, the Cold Republic. And then after that, I started doing um, I did a Gundam EP and then I just started just doing I sort of like found my lane as far as his rapping influenced by anime. And then I dropped the song called "Bring Back Tsunami," and Adult Swim actually picked it up. And then after that, Chris had reached out. and He was like, "Hey, man, like it's
0: kind of good timing. I'm about
1: to go on tour, and a lot of people, have, you know, it'd really be cool to see if, if you wanted to go on the road." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I had a day job, and I was like, "Yo, <laughs> I don't know." Wow. But I you know I, I took a lot of time to think about it, and I was like, you know, like going on tour, hell yes! Yeah. So I told my job I was quitting. And they're like, no, don't quit. Just go do what you have to do and, and come back. And I was like, oh, even better, bet. So, um, yeah, ended up going on tour with MC Chris. First ever tour. And it was um, it was great. Um He was very like, it's funny because it was my first tour and he knew it. And like, he was always like, yo, Richie, you good? You good? Like he was, he was. And I think that probably played into how everything sort of panned out. I think a lot of it was him knowing Mm -hmm. it was my first tour um, and him wanting to be as available as he could to making sure that I wasn't like stressed or worried or feeling any sort of angst. If it was, I, it was it was as comfortable as the first tour as it could have been. Thanks to him, you know, he made everything seem very easy. And I, I hey, I, I did my thing. You know, I, I, I'm one of those people that I listen. If you tell me like, hey, this is what needs to happen for things to go smoothly, I'm gonna do it. Yeah, And I played my position.
0: Let's talk about what happened with the tweet, because I'm sure some of the listeners know about the story, but I bet some of the other listeners might not.
1: I was on stage, man. From my point of view, I was on stage. I was killing it. What city? Uh, Philadelphia at a Union uh, was a Union Station, I think is the name of the venue.
0: Yeah, Union Transfer, right?
1: Union Transfer, yes. I'll never forget. It was a nice venue, too. It was a hell of a venue. So I'm on stage and I'm doing my thing. I'm rapping. I'm about halfway into my set. And all of a sudden, like, it's funny because I was like, you know, the crowd was into it. But then as I'm like ending a song or as I'm like coming uh, at the close of a song, I hear like this big crowd pop. And I'm like, damn, I know they didn't like the song that much. Damn. And then I look behind me and it's Chris. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, that makes sense. And he's and like, they're
0: like, collab. They're yeah. Like, no, you guys have a song together.
1: And he's like, you know, yo, like, y'all give it up for the greatest rapper, uh, Richie Branson. The crowd was all into it. Yeah, it was no taking of mics or anything. He just kind of popped up. And I was just kind of like, wow, this is interesting. Like, uh, it was unexpected. And then um, he was asking about, uh, is there a Mike Taylor in the crowd? Mike Taylor? Who's Mike Taylor? And I bet Mike was like, oh, shit, I must have won something. I'm the man right now. Because he was like, me, me. I'll never forget. Big talk. Because he
0: ran in. He was in the lobby, right, as far as from what I've read. Yeah,
1: yeah. He was somewhere. So... You know, he comes in and, and, and Chris is like, yeah, what's up, Mike? Yeah, I want you to find the nearest member of security and tell him to get the to to, to <laughs> escort you the fuck out. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, he's like, that's what you get for talking shit about my openers. And like immediately in my head, I was like, he must have said something egregious. Like, I thought it was going to be something just so intolerable or just terrible. But either way, I was like, ah, ha, ha, everybody. But it's crazy because the entire crowd was like, yeah,
0: boo, get the fuck out, Mike. Ah." Was it clear that it was on Twitter? I think he said
1: talking shit on Twitter about my opener. (laughs) Because I I knew to go look on Twitter after my set. So, yeah, but it was like, you know, the entire crowd was like... And that's what people don't realize. Nobody in the crowd was like, oh, what are you doing kicking him out? Like, nobody was apologetic or, like, empathetic for him at the time. It was the entire crowd was like, yeah, get the hell out. So, um, yeah, that happened. And then I continued with the show. I think I made Mike Taylor a punchline in the next song. It was, it was all fun to me. Like it was at that point, it was just an interesting turn of events that kind of made the show better in in a weird way. It definitely made it better afterwards. Um, you know, MC Chris was like, "Yeah, man, I'm just, I just really was riding with you, man. Like this guy was talking trash about you, and I don't need that energy. You know, I work hard to put my openers in a good position, and I don't want that kind of negativity in my show. And I was like, that makes sense. And I'm still under the presumption that this was like some crazy, you know, super wild. Like I thought it was gonna be some cuss words, maybe an n-word, something. <laughs> I thought it was something bad." But I go, and I think, me and I uh, was I with Rand? No, I had not met Ran yet, but I was um, with my manager, uh, Kevin. Shout out, Kevin. Um, I met, uh, We were looking on Twitter, and we find a tweet, and it was like, dear artist, dear nerd rapper opening up for NC Chris, you're not good enough to pander to me. Better luck next time. It was incredibly douchey. Um, in hindsight, like, it was like, it, it did make me question, like, what did you mean by pander? Like, you came to see a band that is named after a Nintendo accessory that plays cover songs <laughs> about, you know, Nintendo games. And then you come to see somebody who raps about star Wars. It it's like, how could you not want to be pandered to, but okay, whatever, you know, that aside, it, it sort of made me, and I've, through my life I've, I've been told I don't belong in nerd spaces sometimes. And, and those motivations have sometimes been very clear to me, like, yeah, you're not this enough to be nerdy or you're not that enough. So, it's sort of like made me feel that gatekeeping, way. Gatekeeping, right? Exactly. It was a gatekeeping right. type of thing. And Yeah. would I have, you know, been upset by reading it? Not not to that degree, but I understand why Chris did it. A lot of people kind of gave him a lot of hell for it, but you know, I look at it like he knew it was my first tour. You know, I was just this young, impressionable rapper trying to figure shit out. And he did what he thought was best for me. And so um, was it the best outcome? No, because the next day we woke up and this shit was all over the Internet. I could not believe the shit. It was crazy. It was. Oh, oh it was brutal. And I'm like, what the hell? Turns out the dude was a blogger. And he wrote this long ass Reddit page, and and that shit blew the fuck up. I could not believe it. I know. So by the next night, this shit's on MTV. It's it's everywhere, and I'm just like, my email is flooded. This is when it got. I think this that the it wasn't the event that was the bad part. It was the people's responses to it. It was a lot of racism. I just say that. I. Man, I had hundreds of emails with N-word this, N-word that. Yeah, it was bad. Um, And the funny thing is I responded to every single thing that was thrown my way. That was the worst mistake. I learned the hard way, don't look at the comments. Don't read the emails.
0: Where did the racism come from? I know people can be horrible and like yeah. disgusting, but like, what's like, what could justify like a res- an email like that? Uh, you know,
1: probably trolls. It was emails, it was DMs, it was any way that people could get to me in a way that was either anonymous or, um, you know, in a way where they weren't getting banned from Reddit. Because nobody on Reddit was being obviously racist, but the Reddit people were like, you should leave the tour, you know. I don't- I'm, this is how I'm paying my bills right now. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if your boss.
0: Yeah, man. If
1: your boss at your job does something that you don't agree with, are you going to leave your job? Uh, no. <laughs> so it's like, to me, it was like. People like to project, you know, onto what it's like what they call the Monday morning quarterback type thing. Where like, well, if I was in the game, I would have, I would have threw it. No, you would have got sacked too. You know? like, I would have
0: said, "Yo, don't throw that kid out because this and that." Yeah, right. Like you're not gonna say that on stage. I wouldn't have, if I'd been your situation, dude. And I've been in situations where Chris has stood up, stood up for me. Like he's, he's a good friend. He mm-hmm. stands up for his openers. You, you're working for him and you're opening mm-hmm. for him, so you kind of just got to roll with it. And it's like but it's in retrospect it's like ooh who would have thought that of all things that dude would be a blogger and that it would have gone viral like that and what was so i feel like really hurt chris and god bless him because like he's still doing it he makes money he's still like a huge like influence on me i love him to death but after that reddit that whole reddit thing with the thousands of comments of all the times he'd been like impatient with fans i felt for him man and i felt like this dude like it's all coming down on him because gamers and nerds can be vengeful and they like they can be mean and i was mm-hmm. like i felt like he really that was not like i just felt bad for him and i tried to stand up for him and like a lot of people asked me my opinion and i saw you jumped in on the thread and like kind of explained the story which is why i wanted to ask you about it yeah you were having his back too in the thread
1: mm-hmm. oh yeah and i always will like anytime because it, it every couple of years this resurfaces and it becomes a thing where everybody re-remembers what happened and i'm always like yeah, like I know everybody wants me to be like, "Yo, MC Chris, bad, bad." But no, nah, I can't do that. The dude gave me an opportunity that I I would have never had um, otherwise. One, yeah. But two, it, it's not even about that. Like if he did something that, you know, I, I get it. Like what he did, eh, I wouldn't have done that. But it's not think like when I think about like on the scale of like atrocities that people commit, right? Some dude having to leave a show and getting his money back for a little concert, you know, that he planned to go to that doesn't like, that's not a cancelable like, Oh, I can no, no, all oh, that's egregious. We are like, there are people out there. Like you see every day, like uh, there are people assaulting people. There are people doing uh, uh, just right. things that, that are, that are reprehensible and, and definitely worth quote unquote canceling for. But, you know uh, a situation where somebody was was removed from a show non-violently because of a disagreement that had that happened on twitter it's extreme and it's not right but to me it's like all right okay yeah like you know so um to 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 have that happen like going back like all of the response was just outrageous um on on all fronts and it, it i think it got a lot of press because it was like, "Oh, Twitter!" You know, it's it's some people are getting kicked out of concerts because of what they tweet. So it was it was, it was the extreme of what it represented. But I mean, right?
0: That was unprecedented, and that's what was that was that was the nerd rapper kicks out fan because of something said on Twitter. That yeah. was was like, "Oh, that was like clickbaity," and that was also like, Twitter was only what three or four four or five years old, and so all of that fed into it. And then the meanest thing was people being like who who is this guy because yeah. people not in our scene or didn't know the adult swim connection like he got his name out there yeah. but not in the way you want a yeah yeah
1: this is a bad publicity and then like you know I, I look at it you know and even over the years as i've reflected on it it's like you know a lot of us in this this space we're anti-social nerds man like Nobody, like, when I was doing these raps, like, I thought this shit would stay, like, oh, I'm just doing this shit in my bedroom, I'm never gonna perform this shit live, I don't know, I don't really fuck with people like that anyway, (laughs) but so to me, when I started this whole thing, on my end, it was like, I never expected to be doing tours, and and selling merch, and, and shaking hands, and signing, like, that was not a part of the plan, so for 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 that being the case it's not like even chris i think like his stardom and his success in a way was like an experiment that blew up like i don't think he expected yeah. just like i'm gonna be a superstar going on the road i'm gonna have thousands of fans and I'm gonna pack rooms and sell out concerts and that's what the life i want i don't think he wanted that i think it just happened and it's like for us like this should just happen to us man and it's like yeah, we still have all of these societal pressures and all of these like idiosyncrasies about us that sort of don't necessarily work in a, a star is born type of environment. Like me, <laughs> I, I always say it, like I'm one of the hardest rappers to be a fan of because I'm so antisocial and reclusive. Like <laughs> I'm horrible, and, and 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 it's something I'm working on. But
0: you are humble and you're dope, and I think those two things in nerdcore, even nerdcore adjacent, this those go far, man. And I feel like fans pick up on that and that's why that tweet was unfair because the dude didn't get that you are like you're talking about being a gatekeeper you are a nerd you're Mm -hmm. very fluent in all this culture you grew up on all this stuff and like the definition of a nerd has changed nerdcore has expanded it's become more inclusive and more interesting Mm -hmm. but what is surprising is the dude didn't tag chris chris had just had a a search that was searching for his name and Mm -hmm. he just right he just wrote dear mc chris he didn't even tag him so chris must have had had his feed searching for his name. And that's why I saw it. And that's, I think, one of the things that like was shocking to people because he wasn't even like tagged in the tweet, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just name search. Yeah. And, you know, like I get it. But whatever. I get it. But it's just wild to me that like, you know, you get all these people that are saying this stuff. And it's like, you guys, you don't know what goes into doing (laughs) shows, man. You don't know what goes into any of that stuff. It's not, hey, Mimi. It's not easy um, to be an artist at all, especially if like 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 if, if your life isn't you haven't been in a public eye like all of your life. This shit just fell in your lap and you just made what you had to make with it. So, you know, props to Chris for for even being able to do what he does, because, yeah, you know, I like I said, like I'm the type of like I know what that's like when I was first started, I, I had that. I had that uh, that youthful optimism. I was dropping albums every week, it seemed like. I was just working, 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 working. And then you reach a certain point, and it's like, holy shit. Like, what the hell has this become? Like, oh, my God. And then you really, at that point, the weight of everything starts to just consume you. And if you're anybody like me or Chris or anybody that deals with depression or any sort of anxiety, that shit will fuck your head up, man. Like, it took me five hours to do an album because I was so... My mind was, like, mm. <laughs> so not right. And my fans, I, the fans that I, I, I know, I, I, like I said, you have to be very patient and you have to be a very, I don't know, you have to be an iron-willed person to be my fan because I'm so fucking unpredictable and weird with this shit because this, <laughs> this rap shit is like, I know I can rap, I know I can make music, but it's not necessarily, like, the, the, the perfect career for my personality type.
0: You know, I'm supposed to be touring next year and, like, Uh, hopefully COVID will be like at a point where it's manageable and safe. But I'm like, if it doesn't happen, I'm kind of like straight with fine chilling with my family and being home because my, like, you know, I'm going to miss my son, man. I've been thinking about that. Like being gone for as many weeks as, I don't know. I'm not as stoked about it as I used to be. Of course I want to play music for the fans and keep doing MC Lars and I will. But man, to like spend time away from home, is a sacrifice in a, in a new way. I bet you feel me on that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I
1: spent, uh, I spent some time away from my daughter and it was, it was like that. It was, it was a lot of FaceTime and a lot of, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not something, especially as they get older and they start like talking and like, you know, you don't want to miss milestones and like they grow like at the, at the, especially like from one to two and two to three, like, they grow so fast. Like, it's like one minute you're, like, goo-goo, ga dada, and the next minute, like, you're having conversations <laughs> with these little ones about life. And they're like, where did you learn that word? How are you – like, the way they learn yeah. words, and you're just like, how do you know what that means? Like, it is the craziest experience to, to watch a little child grow.
0: And I bet especially having a dad who's a wordsmith and a culture, culture maven, like, they have a lot of interesting, like – uh yeah, like I bet it's I bet it's cool teaching them about what you like or what you don't like and like relating to them and it's so in a way better than it's a creativity that transcends anything else I guess in a way. Yeah, and it's wild
1: because um, especially when they get old enough to listen to music and understand it and like it. My daughter heard the death and resurrection of Marcus Brown, which is a song about like life. I guess it's it's one of the most personal songs I have. But in the intro, when she was one. I taught her how to say I love you and her I would you. That's how she would say it. So I recorded her saying it, and that's what the song starts with. So fast forward, she's now three. She hears the song, and she's like, Daddy, who's that? I'm like, oh, well, that's you saying I love you. And she's like, that's me? So then there's beautiful. So when she first discovers this song, and she's like, that's you rapping. That's not rapping. She don't know what rap is, but that's you, Daddy? That's you singing? Yeah, that's me. And that was her first time really hearing and knowing that her dad is a musician. And she listened to that song. It was a week long of her not wanting to do anything but listen to that song over and over and over and over. Like the entire day, she would have the I, the, I, the uh, iPad. She's probably given me thousands of views by now on that video just because she keeps <laughs> keep rewinding and listening to it again. And she started knowing the words. You'd hear her say, tumble. Bumble, like she starts, you know, like and that's crazy. Like hey. that, for everything else I've been through, that moment of my daughter like jamming my music and becoming a fan, like that, it's probably the greatest moment of my musical career, whatever you want to call this shit. Like it's, yeah, that's
0: deep. That's what's up. And that it's just something you both collaborated on in a way. She's on there. Yeah, she's on Guess there. Guest verse. Guest verse. <laughs>
1: So, like who, who knows what that'll do for her, like down the way, but it's
0: tight. That's cool. Um, let's talk I want to talk about your new record, but before we get into that, I want to talk about so the tour you were on, uh, Mega Rand, so back switching gears back to that tour. Mega Rand joined that tour shortly after that show, right?
1: Yeah, the uh, I met Mega Rand for the first time the next night. we had a show in Baltimore. I was contemplating not doing that show because it was so much heat from Philly. And, you know, people were in my inbox. Oh, I'm going to come to the Baltimore show and throw shit at you. Or I'm going to hack- hackle you. Like, the internet, to me at that time, was like a fucking uh, hot hell, <laughs> for lack of a better word. It was hell. And so I was scared that that vibe that I was getting from the internet was going to translate and actually be felt in person. And so...
0: yeah ran
1: happened to be in the city and so he wasn't supposed to join the tour until later later like i want to say a week into it he was going to join the tour and and, and be a part of my set but that night he happened to be in baltimore he's like well i'll come through how about i come through do a couple songs and i'll i'll kind of get the heat off of you and introduce you and my first time meeting mega Rand was in this crazy situation of of Me being scared to do a show and I remember I was backstage like damn I'm pacing back and forth and of all the nights this was the most crowded like you know people usually kind of show up halfway through the opening set sometimes but this night. It was packed. Like everybody was there to see this sucky dude <laughs> that the internet is, you know, because everybody believed Mike was like, yeah, Richie Branson is trash. Everybody just ran with that. Oh yeah, you're trash. You don't belong in the tour. Like, have you heard my music? Like, what are you talking about? But um, anyway, right. so everybody was there and Rand goes out, does a couple songs. Um, and then he gets What's the
0: venue? Uh
1: Baltimore. What was the name of that venue?
0: It's Bart's not Auto Bar. Auto Bar. Auto Bar. Yep. Yep.
1: Auto Bar. Yeah. So, Auto Bar. We're doing the show. I'm scared as hell. But Rand just like gets the crowd so warmed up. And then, you yep. know, by the time like he's like, yeah, now nah, I want to introduce Yada. And he just bigged me up so crazy. And I walked out to like a crazy applause, crazy applause. Did my thing. And afterwards, I think that was the night I had sold more merch that night than every other show except Dallas. Dallas was the only night I had more merch sales. But that night, my merch line was crazy. And so that taught me the most important lesson I think I've learned uh, in, in these years is that the Internet and real life are two different places. No matter what you feel the Internet has to say about you, it does not translate into what the real world and how people will receive you in real life. Because there's something about being behind that keyboard that just makes people different.
0: Totally. Or like anonymously sending hateful things, like people feel more brave to talk, to be more negative. Or or in a way, be it whatever, right? It's a place to make believe.
1: Mm-hmm. You can be yeah. whoever you want on the internet. You can. You can be whoever you want on the internet. People will believe it. That's the crazy thing. You will have believers.
0: And the other thing, Richie, that's interesting is like, I, f- I don't know if you've noticed this. Maybe you have too. Like I'll put out a v- music video and I'll get a thousand views. Wow. A- and then I'll play, which is like, you know, on the low end and then I'll play a show and there'll be 200 people there. And it's like, w- like, mm. so that's confusing too. Like you can have, be bigger as a touring artist than you can be t- next to a YouTube artist who doesn't tour. Like it's so weird. That's, uh, that's new.
1: Yeah. It's like, the, it's like, it goes to like the like I said, two different worlds. Like there are artists that can have thousands and thousands and thousands of views on YouTube and have a huge following on YouTube. Put them on the road, see who shows up. It's a whole different thing when you have to get like. It's easy to go yeah. watch a YouTube video, but it's a lot harder to like build. And that's why it's so important when I see see artists start to like you know stream on Twitch, any way that you could communicate with your fans and like actually you know build that fan base you know it's different when you do that when you have merch when you it's all about like getting people to want to see you not just listen to your shit anybody can put your shit on the radio put your shit here anywhere but the fan base part of it and i'm i'm sitting here talking about it but i don't even do that like i'm i'm such a weird mother when it comes to all this shit like i don't know how i managed to do what i've done man like this this Rap life is so incompatible with my personality, man. It's crazy. But hey,
0: you're interesting, Richie, because you are like you're the internet artist who has toured, who puts out music, who gets hired to like help companies hack their brand or whatever. But you still put out you I feel like you put out records more regularly than a lot of artists. Like from the underground to the stars came out in June and yeah, that's your new record. So, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that album yeah. because you came back with the fire. People were ready for it. Did people know it was coming? Like, what was your release plan? Talk to me about I that.
1: I think people thought that it was – that album, I I announced it and kickstarted it in 2015. Okay. 2015, I kickstarted that. And um, I had this vision. I was like, all right, this is going to be dope. I'm ready. I got the fire. I then um, – Shit, like right after that, <laughs> I, I found out I was expecting my first child and I got sick at the same time. And I was like, it was just weird. Like, I found myself being tired all the time. I was winded, my throat constantly hurted. So, when I would record, I couldn't record to the ability that I wanted to. And I kept updating the fans, like, yo, I don't know what's going on, but hey, I can't record this shit like I thought I would. And turned out I had thyroid cancer, which on the spectrum of cancers, if you want to get cancer, thyroid is not a bad cancer to get. But if you are a rapper who gets cancer, thyroid is a bad cancer to get because it's all here. Everything they got to do is right next to your vocal cords and your whole voice box. So uh, I had to get surgery to remove. I had three tumors on my windpipe that came in, took that shit out um and to this day like i can't i can't play a show more than 30 minutes if that um if i talk too long like my shit starts hurting i've got nerve damage so it's uh oh man yeah it's it's still difficult for me to do i feel like darth vader you know he has to wear the mask i mean i can still swing a lightsaber and do all that cool shit but it's just a little harder for me <laughs> you know um, so yeah that happened um fucked my entire world up um 'Cause I had the surgery for cancer, uh, to, to have the tumors removed. And then three weeks later, my daughter was born. Mm. And so uh at that point I fell off the fucking earth. I'm not gonna lie, I fell off the planet. Everybody was like, What the fuck happened to Richie? What's going on with the album? Blah blah blah. I was just trying to pick up the pieces of my life and construct what I could to raise a child, uh That honestly, I didn't think I would be, I I didn't think, I didn't, you know, when somebody tells you you have cancer, the first thing, what happens to you is you get preoccupied with death. Like, and for somebody who, if you have any sort of depression or any sort of, any sort of mental health things going on, like, you do not want to be preoccupied with death. That is, yeah. So I spent years just getting over, like, the thought of dying young and the thought of, like, and to this day, I'm still a, a super, I'm still super pessimistic about that stuff. But needless to say, it took a while to sort of figure out. And then the crazy thing is like when I was sick and I had my daughter, that was November 2016. I had my daughter, November 2016. I was so fucking broke, yo. Like I, my car got repossessed the week after I got out of surgery. My daughter is born. We had rats in our apartment. I remember walking to the rat, the, the the dollar store with like $3 in my pocket. And I'm like, do I buy this little food or do I buy some rat traps? Like, what are we doing here?
0: Where were you living?
1: Wichita, Falls, Texas. Oh boy. So my wife was handling, you know, she was working as a teacher and, you know, taking care of everything. I was, I was just like in a bad spot. And I mean, we were staying in this horrible, all oh, this apartment was so bad rats and you know it was just sickness rats a kid a newborn like it was just like this just
0: the 10 plagues of egypt
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it was this crock pot of just misery like i was so miserable oh man and then you know at the time i was doing all this like little these little projects and stuff because i couldn't rap so i started making memes and funny videos and uh i dropped um what did I drop? I dropped uh, all kinds of funny shit. I was just made. I dropped this this meme where I was like getting robbed by a Pokemon Go. <laughs> so Squirtle robbed me and I got shot by Squirtle and I did like 10 million views. I was just doing all kinds of just funny videos and, and managing to just build my Facebook. And it was kind of crazy. It was like a really good time. But I wasn't making any money, like, I was still broke, getting all these views, because they weren't on YouTube and they weren't monetized, because so I was an idiot. But anyway, we get to a point where we're coming up on December, and two things that turned my life around happened in December. One, I, um, I no, that was December 2015. All right, so rewind, December 2015, we dropped Life After Death Star, which was like a really dope project, it was Star Wars, And Biggie mashed up. And it was the craziest, it was the craziest project ever. It it blew up way more than I thought it would. And it was dope. Me and my cousin put that together.
0: Blew up like the Death Star. Yeah, it did.
1: And then I went on tour with Ran. I went on tour with Ran in January. We did an East Coast, a West Coast run. We went through the, the Pacific uh Midwest, you know, all that Southwest, all that good stuff. It was a fun tour.
0: Beautiful drives.
1: And I remember yeah, when I knew I was getting sick, is that we were in San Jose and I was supposed to perform and I could not do it. I was laid out on the couch in the green room, like sick, 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 sick. Felt like, I don't know what COVID felt like, but this shit felt like that. But it was so weird because I never got that sick before, just on to a point of exhaustion. And so after that, like I started going to the doctor and stuff started to become clear as to what was going on. So by fast forward, Now we're in, uh, you know, October, I got the surgery. My kid's born in November and everything is shit. Like my life is shit.
0: You're not sleeping, all that stuff. Normal dad stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So then like, I remember I was, you know, I was just trying to figure my life out. And then I got a phone call from Bleacher Report um, not too long, like into December. And they're like, yeah, we just, we like the way that you do all this this stuff. We want to hire you to do it for us. You're moving to Cali, and like that, life changed. Six months later, I bought a Maserati. Like that's how crazy things <laughs> changed. Like I went from, and so then you've got this whole other issue, right? Like I went from being like super, just broke, broke to to having more money than I've ever made in my life. I didn't know what to do. I don't. I, I don't <laughs> like the. You know, it's like I, I equate it to like a diver. Like when you when you're At the bottom, you have to come up slow.
0: Right, right, right. If you come up
1: too fast as a diver, like, you get fucked up and you die. (laughs) So the same thing happens with, like, any sort of situation you're in. Like, if you come up from the bottom of whatever you think is the bottom and you end up being in this super successful spot overnight, it fucks your head up. And that's why you hear a lot of stories about, like, whether it's athletes or rappers or whatever, like when they go up like shit just changes. <laughs> so I've got so many stories like of like, I'm, I got robbed in Colombia by some drug dealers. Like I, <laughs> I've got a lot of stories. Yeah. I got so many stories. Like cause at that point I just started traveling the world, man. Like I had money, I had time, uh, we bought it. We had a nanny. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to go travel and try to find myself. Like, cause at that point, like I had completely lost identity of who I was, because everything was different. Um, and I was still trying to find, I guess you could say I was trying to find inspiration to get back to the album because at this point I was just so shot. Um, had so many conflicting emotions that I had to, I guess explore and figure out like what what, I guess, you know, I just had to, I had to learn some shit. So I learned a lot of lessons. Getting robbed was a big lesson
0: that let's you got to tell that story even if briefly okay what where were you what happened how are you still living like that's nuts but
1: yeah so i went to uh colombia just random took a random solo trip to colombia i went by myself to south america um so i get to the city i'm walking around trying to figure out I didn't, at this point i know spanish now but at that time i knew no spanish so getting by in a spanish-speaking country without knowing spanish by yourself is not something i recommend so don't do that so pro tip number two if you don't speak spanish and you're in a spanish speaking country if anybody comes to you talking in english stay the fuck away from them because they're up to no good yeah so this guy comes up he's like my brother how are you liking my country i'm like oh it's cool he's like you know if you need weed you need anything i got you Weed. Yep, I want it. What's up? So he gave me a little this is how to get you he gave me a little sample. He was like, yeah, take this back to the, you know, to, to wherever you're staying smoke it. If you want more, hit me up on WhatsApp and we'll make it happen. So I get back to the crib, roll a little blunt, smoke it. It was I. Right. I mean, it was not, you know, I've come to realize that weed down there is not it's nothing compared to the weed that we have here. But when you're, you know, 3000 miles away from home, it'll suffice. So I was like, you know what, I'll go ahead and get, like, a little eight. Just, I was only there for four days. So I was like, I'll get four days' worth of weed.
0: Had you always wanted to go to Columbia or, like?
1: No, it was just totally random. I was literally just like, why not? So we go, you know, I go meet with the guy to to buy what I perceive to be a couple of days' worth of weed. A little eighth, you know, to hold me over till I go home. So we meet um, on this little side, like, The way the city was set up is like, there's a touristy area. And as soon as you walk out that motherfucker, it is not safe. So we get across the street from the touristy area. He sits down on the curb. And the guy, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm El Jefe. I'm the boss of this city. Probably bullshit. But he was still like, you know, yeah, you know what you need, what you looking for. I was like, oh, yeah, well, I told you, boy, I just wanted a little bit. I'm only here for a few days. So he's like, well, he pulls out this big zip. And he's like, well, this is what I got for you. It's going to be um, a million pesos, which is $300. I was like, I'm not buying that. Like, I, I, I only wanted a little bit. I'm not about to carry this big sack of weed around with me in a country I've never been to. No, not happening. So then he's telling, he's talking to his boy in Spanish. And then he gets up and shit got serious when he gets up and he slaps the dude. In the face and he's telling them, you know, you told me this guy was going to buy something real. You got me out here for a little eighth ounce. No, no, no. Then he looks at me like, give me the million pesos. And I'm like, uh no, I'm not buying anything. He's did like, you have no, it on I'm you? Just, no, I did not have it on me. Yeah. So, but he was like, um, This is when I realized how clean their setup was. Like, this is the type of robbery where I was like, You rap scallions, like, I gotta give it to you. Y'all setup was crazy. I'll never fall for that again. So, you know, they're like, You know, no, you're just gonna give me the million pesos for wasting my time. And I'm like, No. (laughs) So then knives come out, and I'm like, Oh, okay. And then a door opens up. It was like a car, like where I was sitting, like maybe six feet to my left, there was a car that had been parked there the whole time dude gets out the car and opens the door. Yeah, if you don't want to give it to us, then we're just going to go for a ride and figure it out. I was like, all right, if I get in that car, it's probably not going to be good. So then they're like, eh, there's an ATM right across the street, right there, go get it. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So they follow me, knifeing back to the ATM. And the way the ATMs are there is they're like little enclosed, like phone booths almost, where you go into the, the open the door, you go in, and so it was big enough to fit me and another guy in. So the guy's in there, and he's like, "Chick, get it out." So I get six hundred thousand out. Give him six hundred thousand pesos. Like, That's all I-. I don't know why my dumbass was trying to short these people, but I was just trying to go out. I was just—I don't know why. Just maybe it was pride. I didn't want him to get me for the whole amount. So I'm like, "Here's six hundred thousand. That's all my bank'll let me get, baby." No, do it right. again. Do it again. Oh, Richie,
0: you really pushed your luck, man.
1: Yeah. So once they got the million pesos they all run off. But I'll never forget what the dude told me before uh, he ran off. He's like, yeah, anybody... He's like, you're a nice dude. If anybody talks to you in English, don't talk back. And he ran away. And that was it. I got robbed. So after that, I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe this shit. You know, so I go...
0: You were lucky, dude.
1: Yeah, I go to a bar. And at this point, I'm sad. I'm by myself. Like, I have nobody there to, like... I was, like, scared... you know, I'm solo. So I go to a bar. The guy's like, yo, you look like you're having a rough time. Like, you good? I was like, "Uh, (laughs) nah, not good. So then he's like, pulls out this little baggie of of Colombian nose candy. He's like, hey, you know, this will help you out. I was so depressed. I was like, you know, I, I never did coke in my life. But I was like, damn it, here we go. Took a little rip. And I was like, All right, cool. Hey. So forgot all about being robbed. Me gusta. The the trip was great. Yeah, me gusta. 100% pure.
0: I've never dug coke. What does it feel like? Is it like having, like, Bryce Whitey Cracker said it's, he says 15 minutes of BS, of your hype and then you're down. But I don't know. Maybe Columbia. Tell me what it was like.
1: This was more like 30 minutes. Since it's pure, I guess the time lasted a little longer. But it's like, It's almost like, honestly, I don't know why it's illegal. Like, you sniff it, you feel up, and you're just, hey, you know, okay, cool. I'm hyped and I'm focused. I see why stock, I've never done it since, but I see why, like, stock people use it. I see why people use it. It's like Adderall on steroids. Like, it just makes you, but Adderall lasts longer. But Coke is like, it just gets you up and you just can focus on whatever the hell you want to focus
0: on. Like you had 10 cups of coffee or something like that or Yeah,
1: like and you just you're walking with your chest out and you just feel invincible and and full of energy. It's not you know, I don't I don't know what I thought it was like some shit cuz I swore up and down all my life I oh, never touched that. Oh, that's horrible. But I did, and I was like, this is it. This is what people are dying <laughs> to get to. A, like, how many people have died in the name of transporting coke to America? Right. And I'm like, this is what people die for?
0: What That's... does it feel when it's done? Do you feel tired then?
1: Um. So I guess in my case, it's like I just came back to normal. But when I was describing it to one of my friends who's, who's an enthusiast of that, he was like, well, if you have cut cocaine, then you feel like – you, your come down is horrible like You said you come down and you just feel uh, But he's like since you had Pure like your come down is a little less so I came down to normal although The next morning I think what happened was I woke up The next morning I was paranoid as hell Like I heard some knocking on the door And I assumed it was the people who robbed me And I was just like freaking Ooh. the fuck out So he's like well yeah that's, that's a part of it Like you might feel a little paranoid when you come down For your first time and I was like oh, okay That makes sense I don't know
0: Yeah so cut meaning they put stuff with it to stretch it longer. Yeah,
1: so like um you know when they get when they get it to, by the time it gets to America like it's not pure anymore. Like they've cut it with baking soda or they may have cut it with uh flour, you know, just stuff to like oh. you know dilute it so that they can get more money and they can stretch the money further. So, you know, like they're selling like hat. Like it's like if you took weed and mixed it with grass so that you could sell more uh, you know, something like that. Yeah.
0: Or if you make an EP and do seven skits, and here's my new record. Yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, this is half skits. <laughs> so, okay. Well, speaking of records, From the Underground to the Stars dropped. And uh, it's cool. Like, it was cool going your Spotify, seeing that your fans are peeping your songs because, like, they're definitely – it's cool to see oh like i like when a friend of mine drops a record and then there's new songs going to their top songs on spotify you know because mm-hmm. it means that the album's got a good reaction yeah
1: so like I, I the way i described it was like it's so very because it represents like the past five years of my life which have been like uh I, hey this has been a movie so like you know there's songs that that are coming from somebody who's you know, broke as hell. You got, you know, like, um, Commoner versus Commoner, you know, I'm talking about my car needs new parts and shit, you know, and then you've got songs like, um, uh, Drift King, where I'm just talking, you know, about, you know, having a nice car that can get sideways that represents a part of my life. Um, you've got songs that are, you know, specifically targeting like depression, like Paxel, which is written about, uh, it's named after the medication I was prescribed for depression that I stopped taking. Um, and so, you know, you've got like just all of these different sort of like pieces of who I am, you know, whether it's the mm. mental health part, whether it's the fact that I like fast cars and I've owned some cool cars, or whether it's the fact that I've been um, traveled so much, you know, I've got a couple of songs where I reference some of my travels.
0: Did you really almost quit? rap to become an EDM producer? I did, yeah. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that, that song that that, that song that I produced, <laughs> yeah. that was the first record I made after uh, I recovered from the surgery. And I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to rap again, so let me just start oh. getting good at this. So that yeah. was the record I made. to so I, I had it all planned out. I was going to be, my name, my DJ name was going to be DJ Psycho Menace. That's right. Like Psycho Manus, but Psycho Menace. And I was going to wear a gas mask to gigs like Psycho Manus did in Metal Gear Solid.
0: That's right, that's right. <laughs>
1: That was my gimmick. Like, I was going whole. I was looking up gas masks on Amazon.com. I was too broke. Things are expensive. For a good gas mask, it's like a couple hundo. And, like, at the time, I didn't have it. But I was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to get a gas mask. This is going to be my new career. The rebirth of of Richie Branson as this EDM producer because Lord knows I can't rap anymore. And so Kind of like
0: an MF Doom thing, but, like, if you were not without the rap.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I was going to be the MF Doom of EDM.
0: How's the reaction been? Do you feel like fans have been – talk to me about that.
1: I think I, I've I, – it's crazy because I, I expected a bad reaction, mostly because it took so long to make. But everybody that's heard it has been like, yo, this is – this was worth the wait. Like people who like backed the project from 2015, the original like big money backers have been like, yo – you know, I know everything is taking a while. You fell off the face of the earth and had us all sweating, but I, this was worth it. And to hear that from the people who believed in me five years ago, to hear that they still believed in me now, like that, I don't know. Words can't explain what that means to me, because shit, if I had yeah. an artist that, that I believed in five years ago and, you know, all of a sudden they drop into some shit now, I might be like, meh. I ain't listening to that shit. Or I might be like, oh, oh, you just, nah, this ain't it. You fell off, dog. But to be able to make sure that they felt good about the project that they believed in, um, that was really good. And to see just like new fans that have listened to it and been like, "Yo, this, this dude is spitting. Like, wow, he's really dope. And, and I think a lot of it, it's crazy because there's a version of the album that exists that's about 12 songs. Um, and I think I cut seven of those songs and started over. So, (laughs) like, um, yeah, it's been through some revisions. And, like, I think, you know, I think, like, and it's funny because now that I'm in the game development, like, I see the way that the development cycle for that album went is a lot similar to how game development goes, where it's you get feature creep. It's like you never want to say, okay, it's done. It's always, oh, we could add one more song, or I need to capture this mood, or I need to do this. And so... I think there was a year of that for me where I was just like, "Well, no, I think there's one more song. Eh, Let me do this. No, let me do that. No, this, you know." And so, and it kind of alludes to the point you made earlier, where like it doesn't like now, like the music that I make, there's no calculation in terms of will this sell, what will this do. It's just you're just gonna get me because there's no stakes in it for me now. It's just like, all right, you just you're gonna get authentic. Richie Branson music that that's just made for the sheer enjoyment of it, um, which makes it different. Um, and it makes it more authentic. But I know, it, it, I, I don't know, like, you know, like I think that a lot of nerdcore depends on being topical, right? Like if something's out, you have to fucking rap about it, you know? And I I remember doing that, you know? So I know like, hey, some shit yeah. comes out. Like, you better rap about it or do something, damn it. Like, when Star Wars, uh, The 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 Force Awakens came out, we dropped Life After Death Star Ooh. right before that shit dropped. If we would have dropped it any other time, it wouldn't have did that when it did. But since we dropped it right when the hype was coming out, like, timeliness and, and topicality is so imperative to to making nerd music. And half of it, though, it's not even that I don't want to. Like, there's so many times where I, I see a moment and I want to capture it, whether it's through a song, a meme or anything. But it's like the projects that I'm working on now are so time consuming that it's like I have to let them opportunities pass. And so I've seen things yeah. where I've like not done something and I've seen somebody else do something and go super viral. And I'm like, damn, I was going to do that. And I just did not
0: Then that comes down to the timing being more important than the art itself. And that's. Mm-hmm. Why then you're just I don't know, man. Then you're just making content for the social media corporations to get a higher stock exchange that week if you go viral, right? Yeah, it's
1: it's almost like it's like the other side of the spectrum with this, you know. And like I know people who put out like records that are super topical and they they have a formula to this shit. It works. You know, and it's like wow, y'all, y'all are killing the internet with this shit. But yeah, on, on the same token, it's like I'm at a point where, you know, like the projects that I'm working on now, one of them I can't even talk about it because I'm on NDA, but it's like I get like this weird feeling like what I'm working on, Like I'm passing up so many opportunities to make music, to be topical, to build Richie Branson up. But it's like I've sort of put that aside to work on something that when it comes out, my name's going to be in the credits and it's like it's history, it's historic. And so... Yeah. So I can't wait to talk about it. Hopefully by the end of this year, maybe early next year, I can. But, um, all that to say that like there's, there's sort of like this balance that is creative. You have your personal brand and then you have, you know, there's, there's, there's ways that this works, you know, and I, I always talk about, I, talk, I remember talking to Mega Ran about this. Every artist that I talk to, I've always had this concept of like, what is the end game? You know, it's like with Jedi what is your blue ghost moment where you become one with the force and that's just what you do? You know, what does that look like for you? For me, becoming one with the force was just the point where like I was able to turn all of the skill sets that I've learned as an artist and, and as a creative into a career, you know, now, um, I get to work for a company that makes video games and music. And so like, that's sort of it for me. Like, okay, this is what I do. You know, and so you see it, you'll see artists that kind of reach a point where it's like, all right, this is where my career has landed me. And this is where it's going to kind of stay, or maybe not stay, because I mean, static, but like, this is, this is the plat, not the plateau, but this is the level where uh, my trajectory has placed me. And so for others, it's going on tour and being able to tour. Like, I can't, I can't tour, I don't have the type of fan base that that I could actually build a tour around. So that wasn't my end game. But, you know, for Chris, it was touring and it was being able to do that. And that's, that's crazy. Like, man, going to the Chris shows, like, I, I can't draw a crowd like that. Like, that man can draw a crowd. <laughs> like, yo. So, um, yeah, everybody's got their own end game. And it's all about like figuring out what works for you. Cause at the end of the day, it's like, we all want to be able to make a living doing what we love, you know, mm-hmm. and this is the vehicle for that. What is, you know, what does the vehicle look like? And so for everybody, it's different. So I know Doc Ock works for a gaming company, too. And like that's the vehicle yeah. landed for him in that. And so it's like you get people who do it and they end up either in the industry or they end up being an incredibly successful artist who this is their career Or, you know, it's different places you can land in this shit, but you got to think about that. Where do you want to land with that? Because if you don't, uh, you get burned out. (laughs) Well,
0: and yeah, Richie, and it's also like increasingly the music industry is the tech industry. It's algorithms. It's figuring out how to like hack YouTube and Spotify with like the right stuff at the right time. And it's not. And so... If you're like someone like you or me who's good at marketing ourselves as a brand, mm-hmm. that's a skill set that is fungible and relates to other things and so like I like how you said it. the end game is just I feel like self being self-sustaining in our case like being able to help be there for our family and like mm-hmm. still loving music, man. I always when I you know, I do Patreon and I do songs every month, but I try to make sure that I'm in a mode where I'm excited to record and I want to, and I'm not just punching the clock. Cause Ooh. I know if I'm not trying to do it f- because I want to, it's going to suffer. And my fans will know. So staying authentic to me is end game, being pa- truly passionate about the things I care about, because that makes me a better husband. It makes me, you know, better person. It makes me better friend and, I never want to feel like the industry's used me because you hear stories of people in, like in the 90s screwed over by a label deal, yada, yada, yada. And mm. we we have the privilege of not like, ever having like like an album shelved, right, by a label. know? yeah, that's never had the worst. That. <laughs> yeah. I've
1: had a, a production deal go sour, real sour, and it hurt. And it, it kind of made me never want to even try to... To chase after uh, like a, a industry level music deal because it's it's terrible. What they do to artists is I've seen it firsthand it's it's not cool. so you know it's like the art versus commodity. there's some people that are really good at churning out music quickly and, and getting it up and hacking the algorithms and it's like if that's that's the end game as well. That's an in game as well and it works to people who are able to output like that. I can't. I used to be able to do that. But now it's like I had to find another way. I think if I never got sick, I'd have yeah. like a m- two million subscribers on YouTube and I'd be throwing all kinds of shit up there. But, you know, I can't I can't output like that. So I had to find a, another route that for me has is, is been just as financially uh, lucrative. But um, it just it's a different energy. It's it's just different. You know, so it's, it's all about finding your way, you know.
0: That's what's up. I wanted to end asking you two questions. I never asked you where you got your name because your name isn't actually Rich. No, you want? Can you tell that story? Yeah, sure.
1: So, yeah, this kind of goes into the thing I was talking about. So, yeah, yeah. almost ten years ago, uh, one of my friends got signed to Def Jam. Um, my cousin had produced a single um, for him. I had produced a single for him. Uh, he flew out to audition for L.A. Reid. Uh, he performed both singles in front of L.A. Reed, and L.A. Reed signed him to Def Jam that night. I remember getting a phone call about it, and like because we were the producers on the songs, like, yeah, I cried when I got the phone call. I felt like I made it. I'm going to be a super producer. We produced a mixtape uh, that Def Jam put out, and everything was lining up like the stars of the line. We were rocking, shot the video.
0: What's the artist's name?
1: Bone. It's good dude, good dude. Okay. The song's called Home Girl. Okay. You look at it, a very vulgar song, but that song was hot back circa 2009, right. circa 2010. So we were prepared like to just we we're gonna move, we we're gonna get Ferraris and like that was gonna be life. So um I remember we were looking at getting our publishing deal. Um I'll get to that later. Uh-huh. But in the midst of that, our manager, who uh, we had the same manager as Bone, it was all sort of this family thing, right? And so um, we had the I produced a single for an artist named Charlie Boy, who was signed a jive at the time. That song was heating up on the radio and it looked like they were going to run with that for a single. So like within the span of months, we were going to have two Billboard charting singles with our production. A uh, very famous DJ had reached out wanting to sign us to a production deal, so we were hot stuff, man. Like shit was about to get real. Um, so we started this group because Jive Records was looking to sign uh, potentially. They were they were looking for some artists to sign. Our manager had you know an open situation with them to where we would potentially get signed to Jive Records. We just needed to put together a demo. So we came up with the name for the group. We called ourselves Mister Millionaire. And all of our names were based after like famous millionaires. So, my cousin Jeremy, who's now Solar Slim, back then his name was Jay Forbes. I'm embarrassed of y'all today, boy. Um, my partner um, Dub, his name was, uh, fuck, what was his name? Boss Perot. <laughs> yeah, you know, Ross Perot, but Boss <laughs> Perot, yeah. And then, um, Yo, and then my cousin Willie, God bless his soul. This was before Trump became Trump, but his name was Willie Trump. (laughs) Yo, his (laughs) rap name (laughs) was Willie (laughs) Trump. And so I was like, well, who do I want to be named after? You know, I don't want to be Rockefeller. Uh, You know, so I thought about it. And, you know, I was able to produce, I I knew how to record, mix, master. Like, you could put me in a studio and I could make everything happen by myself. So I was like, well, that's kind of versatile, like Richard Branson, the entrepreneur who owns a record shop and an airline and this and that. So I will go by Richie Branson. And that's how Richie Branson became Richie Branson.
0: But it's funny because everyone else's name was like a flip. You took his name and just made it his nickname. Like Richard could be Richie. That's kind of funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like I could have been like Mark Branson or like Marco, I I could have like been more creative. I just like ah, oh, just use Richie Branson. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I hate the name. It's tight. I'm Richie. I'm Richie, but it was just yeah. In hindsight, I I probably would picked something else.
0: You know, my, Lars isn't my real name, right? You probably knew that. I
1: thought your name was Lars though, because it sounds such like a La- Like <laughs> it sounds like a name that would just be oh, his name must be Lars, but it's <laughs> yeah. not Lars.
0: Right. <laughs> It's like a funny thing to take a name that's like an na- actual name, but it's not your name. It's like Adam Warrock. His real name is Eugene. Do you know that dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he was Adam forever. It's was like, oh, he's Eugene. What? And he had to, Tribe One had to explain to me the origin of, of that, which is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Adam Warrock. <laughs> Adam Warlock. I didn't even know that. Like, I didn't know that at the time. I was like, oh, Adam. It must be a dude named Adam that goes off.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's up. Um. So the new record, y'all can stream it. Check it out. Uh, It's from the underground to the stars.
1: With this one, honestly, this was my worst promoted worst. There was no method to this madness. I was just like, you know what? Mm, We're under quarantine. Uh, I think the the album is finalized. Let me just put it out. Um, No, yeah. There was no method to this one. Uh, Normally. What I like to do is a rollout, though, where I'll put out, like, you know, say three weeks worth of just, like, weekly releases on YouTube, really build up the anticipation. Usually there's, like, more of a theme. Like, this was the first album that didn't have, like, a specific theme. It was supposed to be a a Gurren Lagann anime-themed album, and it turned into something completely different. But um, normally I'd have a cohesive theme, so, like, Gundam. Um, for example, the twentieth anniversary or the fiftieth anniversary of Gundam was uh, last last year in twenty nineteen. Originally, like my plan was to drop Space Noids. It was an album about like inspired by Gundam. I was going to drop it around that fiftieth anniversary year, but I was sick and I, I was depressed and going through a lot of shit, so I couldn't. But that would be how I would approach like my projects. I always try to anchor them to some sort of Big moment in social consciousness Even if I have to create The moment, like, perfect example I made a game called Harambe versus Capcom Where I put Harambe Into Capcom and gave him a story And and it was the funniest Shit, but um, I did that uh, not too long after Harambe died Um And, you know, he had become a meme at that point. So I was like, how do you, how do you just like, my goal is to kill a meme. Like my goal is to do something so outrageous. It just takes the meme to a level of like, well, shit, this is not a meme anymore. This is just a part of culture. And so that was Harambe versus Capcom. But my boy had a song that he did called Dicks Out for Harambe. So I was like, all right, well, yeah, we're just going to use your song as a trailer music. Let's get a Spotify link and, you know, get all, I told them, get all your shit together because this shit is going to go. And sure enough, it went. <laughs> and everybody was like, where can we find a song? And, and they had it up on, on SoundCloud and stuff. So, like, I look at music and this is my philosophy that I use when it comes to marketing, right? And this is like some deep shit. Welcome to Richie Branson's School of Marketing, guys.
0: Yeah, but yeah, this is good.
1: This music that we make, it's, a me- it's medicine. Music is medicine, Right. Now, whenever we we encounter medicine as an end user, it's always in its final digestible form. It's either a pill, it's in a syringe, it's a liquid cap, it's a liquid gel, it's something. But that medicine did not look like that when it first was created. It was some weird, powdery-looking shit that is not just friendly for human consumption. You don't look at aspirin in powder form and be like, oh, yeah, let me... It's not appealing. It's not easy for you to digest. So, when I look at my music, I look at it like this medicine powder. It's good for you, but how do you get people to want to digest it? What vehicle, what syringe are you putting this shit in to inject it into the veins of your fans? That syringe could be a meme. That syringe could be a funny video. That syringe could be a moment. But either way, I try not to... Now, From the Underground with the Stars was was an exception, but... Normally, I don't ever release anything without a moment attached to it. You have to have the music and you have to have the moment to match. And it's up to you to create, yeah. you know, that moment. I don't know why I keep looking at my mic like I'm talking to the mic, but <laughs> you have to <laughs> you have to have music and you have to have the moment. And if you can marry the music and the moment, then just the right way, your shit will blow up. Old Town Road, perfect example. Lil Nas X just dropped that song. Yeah, It blew the fuck up.
0: Yeah, well, because he had the moment. The what? The moment being like country and rap were having this interesting amalgamation, and people wanted. To- and then the dance on TikTok, right? That's kind of what blew it up. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was the TikTok moment, the blending of culture, and sometimes the moment is just a state of consciousness that you break. He broke the state of consciousness of hip hop and, and country. That that could never work. And he made it work. If you could fuse two things that and that's that's why Life After Death Star worked, because here it is is this Harlem rapper. I'm not Harlem, oh excuse me, no, this Brooklyn rapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brooklyn would murder me right now. This 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 rapper from right. Bed fused with, you know, Cloud City of Bespin. You fuse those two worlds together and people don't know what the fuck to do, but it sounds good. And so Sometimes that's what the moment is. It's, it's you create it. It's like nuclear fusion. Sometimes that creates the moment.
0: So it's like you talk about, you know, Plato talks about the perfect forms, right? Like in the allegory mm-hmm. of the cave, right? You look up, you see the shadow and you see the real thing. And like great artists connect those different actual forms and that becomes like a transcendent thing. I mean, my, I talk about this movie all the time on, my, on this podcast, but who framed Roger Rabbit? Cartoons with the film noir, And then in a way where Mm -hmm. Disney animation needed that renaissance, like or nerdcore, even like nerdy culture and like underground hip hop. That's like actually respecting the skills. Like that became a thing Mm -hmm. like amalgamation. So it's a lot about timing. And I like what you said that you can kind of manufacture it because you can see it's bubbling up and it needs to be, needs to be a thing. That's interesting, man. That's like performance Mm -hmm. art and that's culture hacking. And that to me is so much more interesting than no, no disrespect to, to any like, to anyone who's done this, but like just dropping a song about the new Luigi's Mansion game just because it's out. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's different, but it has to be Luigi's Mansion as a metaphor for for COVID or something, like the castle we're all stuck in, quarantine, right? It has to, it has yeah. to
1: be that. And it's like that's where I think I've managed to to find success is just knowing how to identify that because you're right. You could just say, "Oh, Luigi's Mansion out," and you could drop your Luigi your Luigi's Mansion rap and be among the 50 other people doing Luigi, Luigi's Mansion raps that week because that's a set formula. It's the first thing that I would think to do. Oh, Luigi Luigi's Mansion's coming out. All right, let me do a rap, but. You know, if you were to say, well, nah, let me not do that. Let me take it to this level and make it stand on its own. You kind of just create something that's different, you know, and it's not easy to identify it. Sometimes yeah. I, I can name a lot of duds that I've had, <laughs> you know, um, in addition to the successes. But it's like, you know, it's, it's always, you know, you, it, it's always something that you realize, like they say, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, whenever I do postmortems on the shit that won for me. I could always see where I was following along. Like I, I had the idea for Life After Death Star back in 2012. And I sat on it oh, wow. all the way until Star Wars was about to come out because I knew that it would be fever pitch to drop it around that time. And it worked. It, yeah. was a, it, it worked. <laughs> you know,
0: And guess what? People don't forget Biggie. That's one of the artists that like, He's never out of style. That dude is timeless. And so you pick the right artist.
1: Exactly.
0: What's interesting to me about hip hop, if you look at it as a genesis, as a cultural form, it's always about merging technology. and This is what makes it postmodern, right? Merging technology and using the tools of consumption to therefore be the tools of uh, remixing, recreation, and retelling a story in an interesting way. And that's mm-hmm. why... Marshall McLaurin says the medium is the message, mm-hmm. right? That's like a famous old school phrase. Like the fact that it's this culture that's cut up, retold, and rebranded. The technology of Grand Wizard Theodore creating the scratch or, or Cool Herc creating the breakbeat is just as important as the James Brown song itself. Mm-hmm. So the medium is the message. What you're doing with the culture is just as important as what you're saying. So therefore, fast forward 50 years or whatever – on a macro level, what you're saying is like this really interesting continuation of this like culture hacking because the medium of taking the Harambe thing, making it uh, making a Street Fighter, and then the song, it's cool because it makes sense because you're like tagging into this moment of like absurd tragedy of this animal dying. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? It's like. Everything coming together and flipping that is, a ve- is very true to hip-hop culture, in my opinion. Absolutely, and you, yeah.
1: And then you add the new element that I think is happening in, in social culture of just the rewarding of extreme. It doesn't matter, right. you know, and that's why, I, like, when Trump won, I kind of wasn't surprised because I was like, yeah, he's an extreme personality, you know, like, and he, you get rewarded for being extreme, whether you're extremely good or extremely bad. People reward extreme personalities. And so when you translate that to media, it's the same. A perfect example. I, had, When uh, Fallout 4 came out, I, I made a mod where I put David Ortiz, the Boston Red Sox legend. Because, you know, the game took place in Boston, but they, they couldn't use the actual Boston Red Sox icons and shit in the game. So I put a real Boston Red Sox jersey and made David Ortiz in this game. Made a video of him like knocking zombies heads off with the bat, Um, you know, packaged it all up with take me out to the ball game and put it out there. Right. I put this out there. It got no views. Like nobody was talking about this shit. I sent it to Kotaku. I sent it to every gaming site you could think of. And nobody talked about this shit.
0: You designed this character and like made the jersey and everything.
1: Yep. But nobody covered that. You're probably reading a story about it right now. And you're going to see why is because the Boston Globe, yeah, the Boston Globe, they did an article about it, just a little write-up like, oh, look, uh, Boston fan creates uh, David Ortiz. So it was just that one site that covered it. And the dude wrote a little little write-up about it. The next day, I get a cease and desist letter from the MLB, and he had, he had emailed <laughs> me and said, yeah, I was talking to, I was doing an interview, I I'd, I'd asked the MLB guy, What they thought about this, and they told me they were pretty like concerned about it. My bad, bro. But what ended up happening is because he reached out to the MLB for comment on this story, and they sent me that cease and desist, he made another article. MLB threatens to sue game modder for creating Fallout Mod.
0: That's news. And
1: every news site that I sent that shit to covered it. With that as the headline. MLB suing Fallout modder because he put David Ortiz in the game and the shit blew up. So extremes, I told you. The
0: fallout was bad for them.
1: Yeah, the fallout. Yes, yeah, the Streisand <laughs> effect. Like nobody was talking about the shit. Yeah. And then everybody talked about it, you know.
0: We mentioned when we were doing this. Anyone who who missed our Twitch tournament, the Streisand effect is you brought this up and you reminded me about it. She had a picture of her house, right? And she asked that people like to not post it. And because of that, it went viral where her house was, like the photo of it. that's kind of the Streisand effect, right?
1: Yep. When is you that try it? to hide some shit. Yeah, it is it. Same thing with Beyonce. She had this like crazy, ugly photo that was taken of her during the Super Bowl performance. And I think like she tried to get them like snuffed out from the cameraman. If something happened. She tried to get them removed and now they're all over the internet as memes so it's like
0: right yeah you gotta
1: it's a cost benefit analysis but it all goes back to that principle of even the news they cover I- extreme shit you know whatever you do if you do it extremely extreme, <laughs> you'll get coverage so what else what's more extreme than putting harambe and street fighter you know like that's extreme
0: what big daddy can ain't no half stepping don't do it unless you're totally all in
1: exactly
0: um, I didn't expect to bring this up, but I think it's funny, talking about Harambe and the memes of 2016. We did a song that was like, in retrospect, not times, <laughs> times so well. I <laughs> actually did two songs as this character, one with you and one with like a bunch of other rappers on my album, which is, now it feels like a dated title. It was called The Jeff Sessions. Yeah, oh
1: God, yeah.
0: It's one of my favorite songs I've ever worked on, and I think you did great. Were you, do you want to explain? The, you know what I'm talking about, the two frogs. Yeah,
1: the Pepe and uh, that boy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that was actually a yeah, that was a dope song. Oh my god, that was a really good song.
0: We could I think we could have made a video for that, like even just a low, like a very basic animation or like just screenshots. I think that it would have caught on. But like it's cool because I like because it's the two memes. It's Peppy, the old frog, and then the new kid, Dat Boy. And it was kind of like our relationship is me as like the old MC in Nerdcore, and you as the new guy who's getting all his all the shine. And but but the frogs having this like brotherhood but also this competition and yeah man I think you really killed it on that song but like talk let's, let's talk, talk about the story What am, am I missing anything from the story no like and I,
1: you know it's funny that you you say the, the, the parallel between the frogs and like the actual like state of where we were in, in nerdcore you know yeah. and now like I feel like an old guy and now I'm looking at these right. young guys and I'm reaching out like yeah let's so like it's crazy like just and one thing that I love about nerdcore though, versus like every other sort of like relationship, where there's just a chronological changing of the guard, if you will, is that yeah everybody is so supportive. Like all of the the old goats are like, oh yeah, you go, youngsters. And now I'm the you go, youngsters, and and part of that energy, yeah. I owe to you guys. Like when I did a song with you, I felt like fuck, I just did a song with Michael Jackson. Like because that's what you guys were when I was like getting in, and I was like, okay, MC Lars, that's that guy. Mega Ran, that's that guy. I remember I, when I, I sent an email to Mega Ran as a fan, like, yo, I wanna one day make beats for you. And he was like, Oh yeah, I bet if you got some, send it. Send him some fire. And he was using it on his album, like, you know, that's next thing you know, Now we're like, you know, we're boys. And so, like, it's crazy to see there's no other genre of music where that happens on such an easy level of just, like, you know. And I've got, you know, cats that I'm collabing with now that that were sending me those type of emails back in the day, like, yo, Richie, like, uh, let's do a song together. And now, like, we're doing songs together. So it's like um, the energy of just, you know, this 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 collaboration that just continues and continues and you know i I would love somebody needs to fucking be a a historian for nerdcore and really sit down and like we need to like really organize the history of like this is stage one this is era this era because now we we have multiple eras or generations of nerdcore you know
0: well you'd be probably third gen right yeah and now we're in gen five maybe
1: yeah i think gen five because now it's like yeah, these guys are so young, man. Like, <laughs> it like, make me feel old. But the YouTube part of it is so crazy. Like, these dudes are getting hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And they rep Nerdcore just like we repped it. Like, they probably use the word more than we did. Like, they're like, I'm Nerdcore. Like, the the pride in which they've wrapped it up. And, they sure. you know, it's like, it's crazy to see that. The touring part, which... I don't know if they will. I, I don't know if they will. The economic model that they that is evolved now for them is all YouTube, all all the algorithms online, which is cool. It's different, you know, like it's cool. whereas like you guys cut your teeth on the live shows, like going on these big tours, yeah. doing these big shows. Now it's like their game is just big videos on YouTube, which is it's cool. It's different. Me I don't know. Like I personally, like I, I and I, I've, I've said this a lot. Like I'm not the YouTube type of like that that model for me. I think I've always been more of the I need to have iconic moments created, and then somebody reaches out. Like after life, after Death Star, uh, what was that film company? Uh, Warner Brothers reached out for me to do the same thing with uh, Batman versus Superman. That's crazy, but. For some reason that fizzled out. The talks fizzled out, but I was, t- I was in talks with this film company to do this thing, you know, this type of thing. But I can't remember what happened with that. But either way, just to say that like my model is like. You know, create big cultural moments um, and parlay that into work. (laughs) It works for me. Yeah. You know?
0: And not forcing it, making sure it feels natural is important.
1: Yeah. It's always like me, I feel like I'm like stinging from the rafters with this shit. Like, I'll just hang out out of you, see a moment that resonates so heavy with me that I have to act and Richie strikes again type shit. Like, there will probably be something that happens where. Richie did that, didn't he? You know, (laughs) I've been I've been I've been a little busy, but it's going to come back. The the, the Richie from the Rafters. That's what I'm gonna call it. Richie from the Rafters. Oh, shit.
0: That's that's cool. Other than peeping your new album, where do you like to ask your fans to follow you on social media or
1: Um, follow my Twitter and my Instagram? Follow those. I have the website. I, I, it's funny. I'm a rapper with no website. and It's the craziest thing. But I'm gonna put up my website because people have been asking like for a place where they can find all my music all in one spot. So I think a website would be good for that. So RichieBranson.com coming soon. But in the meantime, for the latest updates about what I got going on, Richie Branson on Twitter, Richie Branson on Instagram. Those are the two things for now. Follow on Spotify. Spotify. I forgot about that. Damn. See, that's why it's so hard to be my fan. Spotify and YouTube. Follow those for sure. Especially YouTube and Spotify. Please. Thank you.
0: Can you talk for two seconds about the Camp Camp thing? Because I know you have a lot of stuff from that. Oh, movie. yeah. I don't really know what that is. Yeah. Cap Camp yeah. is
1: a cartoon uh, produced by Rooster Teeth. Um Okay. Crazy. Rooster Teeth is—I always say this—they're the reason I still rap today. Um, they reached out to me uh, to do the soundtrack for Camp Camp. Uh, wow, it was right after I got sick and was starting to recover, or right before I got sick actually, and it's been an incredible relationship uh, with them. They are the best, and they—they—they they are the reason that I stopped really caring about getting a record deal or anything because working with a company like them. Uh, they've been just absolutely amazing. They uh, I consider all those people to be my family. That's how that's how amazing the relationship has been. So, yeah, I do the soundtrack for a show called Cart- Camp Camp. It's very popular. It's it's like South Park but summer camp. Uh, so if you like adult raunchy humor and that's told through these little kids, watch Camp Camp. I also did some songs on Jinlock starring Michael B. Jordan, which is the mecha anime styled series that they do. That's also amazing and extremely dope. So give those two shows a look and you will hear Richie Branson music in those shows.
0: Taking over the TV and the internet. (laughs) Slowly but surely. That's the up. Is there a song from your new record you'd like to end with?
1: Uh, Let's go with Drift King because that song is so... No, 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 no. Let's go with Sex, Drugs, and Crunchyroll because that song is so fun.
0: That's a great name. All right. We'll end with that and uh, yeah, check it out. And then Uh, Follow Richie. Richie, thank you. This has been a really good episode. I appreciate you. I'm glad, man. I know I talk a lot. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. uh, And we'll talk to you all later. Peace out.
1: I just had a bad day. My girl say she got me. She gon' bring me pocky. She gon' give me sloppy. She say she love all the ink on my fucking body. She told me she's a writer, and yeah. I'm her Kawasaki. Started underground, ayy. Yeah. Now my vision's starry. Ooh, twenty six hundred on my hoodie. That's Atari, yeah My door's suicide, ayy. Yeah. Call that Harikari. Ooh, trying to trade my Maserati up for that Ferrari. I don't wanna do shit, I just wanna be high All I do is smoke, fucking do drugs in my free time Too much on my mind, haven't slept in three nights No I'm not okay, but one day I'm gonna be fine No I'm not alright, but I'ma be okay though Said I'm not alright, but I'ma be okay though I'm not at the top, but I think I'm on my way though No I'm not alright I'ma be okay though, I just blew an eighth. I can't feel my face My brain on vacation, bitch I'm on my Chevy Chase I don't save these hoes I don't have no cape Watching Hittai on Blu-ray She gon' make it shake She asked me what I'm doing I say, watching you, you haka show Say she coming through I say, hold up, let me pause the show I just smoked a lot of dro Where the fuck is my remote? Now she jumping on the pipe Like it's Super Mario I don't wanna do shit I just wanna be high All I do is smoke, fucking do drugs in my free time Too much on my mind, haven't slept in three nights No, I'm not okay, but one day I'm gonna be fine No, I'm not alright, but I'ma be okay, though Said I'm not alright, but I'ma be okay, though I'm not at the top, but I think I'm on my way, though No, I'm not alright, but I'ma be okay, though
0: Richie Branson, that was tight. Uh, Thank you so much, buddy. Next week, uh, we have an interview with Matt Fury, the inventor and creator of Pepe the Frog. Yeah, I got him on the show. He's a super nice guy, super humble guy. There's a new movie out called Feels Good Man about how the alt-right took Pepe and changed it and how Matt Fury worked to get him back. So I connected with Matt because I did a song. uh, I touched on that on this interview about boys club which was matt fury's original comic where peppy is from and uh we talk about that we talk about fatherhood we talk about his process it's a great interview don't miss that i mean it was so cool to get him on the phone talking about the movie so tune in next week thank you all for listening richie thank you for your great interview stay safe wear a mask uh biden harris 2020 yeah said it (laughs) remember to vote uh and that's what's up i love you all thank you for your support okay we'll see you next week peace